to Bible Shots today, wherever you are across Australia, on Facebook or on Zoom. My name is Will and I'm part of the City Bible Forum team. I live in Hobart, Tasmania. One thing I'm not is your usual MC, Lachlan Orr. Lachlan has accepted a job as the Assistant Minister at Narrabone uh, Camaray Anglican Church in Sydney. And we wish him all of the best and we'll miss him being on the team. City Bible Forum is an organization that creates spaces for people to engage in thoughtful discussion and dialogue about life, faith and meaning. And today we are starting a new series of Bible shots. And regardless of whether you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, it's wonderful to have you here today because we think that the Bible has powerful and relevant things to say to you today. And if the session today leaves you with any questions, well, please get in touch with us because we'd love to discuss some of these things further with you. Uh, first, let me welcome our speaker, my colleague, David Robinson. David will be speaking to us today about the seeming meaninglessness of life. And the title of his talk today is The Not So New Normal. David, you've chosen to speak today on the biblical book of Ecclesiastes. Can you tell us why you chose this book? Yeah, I can. Um, uh, and welcome as well to those who are, are watching. Um, I'm recording this, or not recording it, but I'm doing this in a rather unusual setting. I'm up on McMaster Beach. I'm not in the beach, I'm in a laundry room because it was the only place I could get a signal. <laughs> so I'm, I'm doing this from a washing machine. Um, so yeah, Ecclesiastes is a great book because it's so 21st century, even though it was 3,000 years ago. And I think it addresses directly a lot of the questions that we have today. It's such an amazing book. People wonder why it's in the Bible. So I thought, okay, let's have a look at this. Fantastic. Well, why don't I read out a short passage from, uh, from Ecclesiastes, and then David can share his thoughts on why it's relevant and powerful for us today. And um, at the end, there will be some time for Q&A. So you can send through your questions in the chat function on Zoom or via the Facebook comments. Uh, first, let me um, share with you my screen so you can read along um, if you would like to. Ecclesiastes chapter one, starting at verse one. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. 
No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Thank you, David. Okay. Um, well, it is a, a, a privilege to be able to share this with you. We, we talk about the new normal. By the way, uh, next week, I'm hopeful that uh, I'll, be, I'll be back in civilization in Sydney. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that the, is it the central coast, we call this, is, is very civilized as well. But we t people are talking about the new normal in terms of COVID, and yet there is nothing new under the sun. So actually, we lived in a quite unusual situation in the 20th century in the West, because apart from 1918, we uh, survived uh, or got on well enough without plague. But for all history of mankind, there's been plague around and, uh, in the time of Ecclesiastes as well. So what I want to do is set up for you about meaninglessness. Uh, Carl Jung, the psychologist, told us, tells us that a third of his cases were suffering from no other neurosis other than the senselessness and emptiness of their lives. Now, in this particular book of the Bible, the word meaningless, or sometimes it's translated vanity, appears over 35 times. And in it, the message seems very strange. He's saying, look, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, evil people prosper, tyrants reign, disease spreads, everyone dies and turns to dust, life is unfair, nothing makes sense, the whole world is twisted. What? Eat, drink, and be merry. What's the point of working hard besides which we all die in the end? What's, a, what's such a book doing in the Bible? There was, believe it or not, an ancient school of literature called the pessimistic school. As a Scotsman, uh, it's also for me a very modern thing. Um, uh, you should know the definition of someone who's really Scottish is if we see our football team, our soccer team winning 5-0 with two minutes to go, we still expect our team to lose 6-5. Um, but there's a, there was a book called The Dialogue of Pessimism, which is a Babylonian work of the 14th century BC. Amazing uh, title, which basically said suicide is the only answer to the problem of life. In something called the Epic of Gilgamesh around the same period, the god Shamus states bluntly, the life you pursue, you shall not find. Now let's come really rapidly forward several thousand years and we come to Jean-Paul Sartre or Camus or Nietzsche who basically had this school of teaching or a philosophy we call existentialism. And it's, it's the hopelessness that you feel that, uh, that nothing can save you. Uh, remember nine I remember people jumping from the Twin Towers. Oh, they're jumping to certain death. Why? Because they knew they were going to burn to death. Or the elderly Jewish couple in Schindler's List who realize that they're going to disappear or going to be killed and they throw themselves on the electric fence. Ecclesiastes is a school of right, but it has a very different conclusion and a very different meaning. Now, it's, it, there's a great deal of joy in this, but it's not the kind of joy that's brought about by ignorance, and it's not the kind of joy that says, well, we just hope everything will turn out all right. I suspect that an awful lot of our politicians right now are pursuing a policy which says, 
we are just hoping that things will turn out all right, that there'll be a vaccine and all the rest of it. But I think what, what the teacher does here is he's trying to get us to face up to the reality of life without driving us to complete despair. So let's just look. I mean, verses 2 to 11, which we read, says what goes around comes around. Now, first of all, it starts saying everything is meaningless. You know, um, this is a quote from a Psalm, Psalm 39. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. A moth. Each man is but a breath. And the word he uses is a word, Hable. And it, it carries this idea of something brief, something insubstantial. Um, you know, when... Uh, I've got two grandchildren. They love this when we do this. You get these wee bottles of, of um, that you blow and the bubbles come out. And they just run around and chase the bubbles and the bubbles disappear as soon as they touch them. Well, the writer to Ecclesiastes is saying, your, your life's really like that. Um, I, I guess I kind of knew that, but didn't feel it until the year 2011 when I collapsed and almost died. I wasn't able to breathe and all the rest of it. This idea that human life is but uh, a breath. Now, a breath, but it's, it's more than just the physical transitoriness of human life. What he's also speaking about is what Yancey calls, Philip Yancey calls, that emotions, a radical indifference to others, the sensation of drifting, numbness to pain, a resigned acceptance of a world gone mad. You think of the Donnie Dark mad world in Camus L'Etranger, The Stranger, Merceau says this, it makes little difference whether you die at the age of 30 or three score and 10, since in either case, other men and women will continue living, the world will go on as before. Now, maybe it's a long time since you went through that teenage existentialist angst, but I want you to go through whatever age you are, I want you to go through that angst just now. I want you to think about what's it all for? Why are we here? What's the purpose? Some people will say, well, it's work. So City Bible Forum, we work with workers and people come into their work. And a lot of people took their identity from work. But certainly in Sydney, in the CBD, we're down to well below 50% of what we were last year. Last week, we were a wee bit more buzzing than we, we have been. But uh, uh, nonetheless, in talking to some people, you get this sense of, I, I live for my work, I've got my job, I've got my identity as a lawyer or as someone who makes money or as an accountant or whatever. But what if that's taken away from you? And the work that he speaks of here is work that involves physical labor and mental anguish. It's hard work, it's trouble, it's misery. And the, the teacher asks, okay, when you retire, at the end of your life, when you're on your deathbed, what's the profit you've got from all of this? And he says, it's a big fat zero. You add up all the pluses in your life, you add up all the negatives, the balance sheet comes out negative. If there's no meaning, there's no profit. Now what he does is he then contrasts this with nature. So he says, nature seems to go on forever. You know, we live in Australia and uh, it's a land that's millions of years old. And it, it seems, you know, the rocks and the mountains, you, you stand on them and it, they've been there for a long, long time. I used to live in a, a place in Scotland where there was a tree that was over 3,000 years old, which just is really quite extraordinary. And that's what he says here. 
Um, the, the Latin writer Jerome said this, what is more vain than, than this vanity, that the earth which was made for humans stays, but humans themselves, the Lord of the earth, suddenly dissolve into the dust. So the seasons, there are things going round. There, there's, the, nature is always there, but human beings, we come and we go, and in a relatively short period of time. So in, in verse 8, he then talks about this kind of restless weariness that he has. All things are weary, some more than one can say. It's interesting when you ask someone how they are. I mean, if I asked you, how are you? Most people would go, yeah, fine. Um, which stands for frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. Or the one I hear probably more even than that is, how are you? Oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. Uh, we would, I'm, I'm not sure what the slang here would be, but we would say, well, I'm wrecked, you know, I'm just worn out. And I think a lot of people really do kind of feel that. There's an emotional and psychological wearing out as well, a lack of real satisfaction. There's a sense in which there's always more to hear, there's always more to see, and we're never there, we're always exhausted. We are like the, the mice on the wheel that's going round and round and round and round, and we seem to be getting nowhere. He then goes on to talk about the circularity of human history. The generations come and the generations go, and there doesn't seem to be much purpose to it. Now, in today's world, most academics, I would suggest, most people, the whole culture operates on the idea of human beings progressing and things being different. But I think that's a myth. I think that's an illusion. I don't think human beings are progressing. Yes, there are technological progressions so that here I am up at McMaster and Wilbur's in Hobart. and Some of you are in all the different places. And yes, we're able to see and talk to one another. And that's a technological marvel. But in terms of human history, there's wars and rumors of wars. There's corrupt politicians. There's leaders who are good and leaders who are bad. There's strife and trouble within family and everything else. But are there not things that really are new? Um, nuclear power and so on. Well, what I'm trying to say is that technological advances may be new, but the people who wield them are not we get really excited about new inventions that are going to change the world, but they sink down to our former level. So I believe that Apple have a new iPhone coming out this week. Um, and uh, I can see that Wilbur is really excited about that. But it's not going to change the world. Uh, it's not going to change me. It's not going to make Tazzy a better place, because how can you improve on perfection? Um, it, it, it's the, the only th reason that things seem new to us Oh, this plague never existed in the history of the world before. Yes, it has. Lots of them have. Do you know, there was a plague, I think, if I remember rightly, the year was AD 135. And it was a plague that killed about a quarter of the Mediterranean population, which was then the Roman Empire, the civilized world at that time. Guess where it came from? It came from China, or as Mr. Trump would say, China. It came from, it was the China virus, and it existed in 135. Almost 2,000 years ago there's nothing new under the sun that's what it says and then verse 11 that we read there there's a kind of nihilism now what do we mean by that past events are forgotten future events are forgotten we will be forgotten um, I, I don't know what it's like here but over 50% of 
people in the United Kingdom who are under 35 cannot tell you anything about the Holocaust. We will never forget. Yeah, we will. We will forget. We do forget. If we do not learn from history, by the way, of course, we are doomed to repeat it. So saying there's no real progress. Now, we didn't have time to read them, but I would suggest you do read verses 12 to 18 of chapter one, because he then talks about chasing the wind. And by the way, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop in about five minutes and uh, you can either go off and get your lunch or finish your lunch. Or if you've got any questions, just put them in the, in the chat thing to Wilbur or Wil Wilbur might ask me some questions. But so he's saying, OK, there's nothing new under the sun. And then he says, you know, I decided to study. I decided to work out how things worked. I, I, I looked at all the things that are done under the sun. And he said, I just, I learned that with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Now, Solomon was a king. He had all the resources necessary. Okay, he didn't have Google. But Google doesn't bring you wisdom. Google just brings you loads of information, much of it useless. So he studied hard, he learned to think, he, he, he looked at poetry, he looked at nature, he built things, he did lots of different things as we'll see next week. And in, in, in his searching, he found frustration rather than enlightenment. In fact, he said this, there's a heavy burden that God has laid on men, or it could also be translated a kind of grievous evil or a miserable business. We think beings that way. We want to understand. We, we're also wired that way. The problem of life is not just a hobby for philosophers. It, it's, a, it's an issue for us all. It's a key issue for you. Why are you here? What is your purpose? I grew up on a farm and I absolutely know that cows and sheep and pigs do not have existentialist angst. They do not worry, why am I a pig? What's gonna to happen to me? You know, or the sheep, you know, why am I making this stupid noise? And why is he taking all that wool off me? That that's, they, they just don't have that kind of thing, but we do. In this book, he's going, the preacher is going to talk about how we have something within us that's eternal, that makes us seek and search. And that really is a quest for the meaning of God. Now, there's a famous historian called Tom Holland. He's written a book called Dominion. And I just watched yesterday an, an interview, you get it on YouTube, of him uh, talking to Glenn Shrivener, who's an Australian Anglican, actually. He's an evangelist. But um, Tom Holland is not yet a Christian, but he's about as close as you can get without actually being one. Um, and he, he, it's just an incredibly moving interview. And, and he, you can see, he just talks about, he said, I've lost my faith. What, what faith was he talking about? He said, I've lost my faith in liberalism. I've lost my faith. The world's going to get a better place, but I still want it. And he's saying, there's something in me that identifies with these stories in the Bible, which he is saying to him are still stories, but he wants to believe them. I like uh, this quote I picked up that the creator has instilled in every human being the desire to know the answers to life's ultimate questions. Part of that which distinguishes humans from animals is the desire to know origin, destiny, and purpose, to understand the why and how of all things. Even those of you who are not Christians, you have this compulsion to understand. I have two very small grandchildren live in the mountains old is all the stage of why 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 
That's not just a childish thing, that's something that intelligent adults ask as well. So he sums it up with, with, with two very specific things. He says, first of all, human beings are frustrated. We desire gain, satisfaction, and a sense of progress, but we're just chasing wind. And secondly, he says, there are twists and gaps in our thinking. More than that, he's saying there are twists and gaps in human life and in the environment. He looks at folly, he looks at pleasure, he looks at money. He, 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 and he, he, he's more or less saying, the more you understand, the more you ache. Um, the wiser you are, the more you become aware of what you do not know. Um, ignorance, by the way, is bliss. It's only the remarkably ignorant, and I will not refer to anyone in particular. You, you can work it out for yourselves, but it's only the remarkably ignorant who imply that they know everything or that they don't need forgiveness or, or that, that they are great. That, that's, you can think you're Superman if you're ignorant. So, okay, this, here we are on a Wednesday lunchtime and it's all a bit pessimistic, is that it? Well, yes, there is a but. Now what Solomon's describing here, in fact, the whole book, it has this key phrase all the time, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. And that helps you understand the book because what he's basically describing in the whole book is the position of the secularist. He's saying this is the logical position that you have if you accept or think that there is no God. Under the sun just simply means without God. Now, with God, you look at things slightly different. So, for example, let me just go back to the question of the creation. Without God, it's meaningless. I am up here, I'm at McMaster, I'm looking out over the beach, it's absolutely wonderful. Well, I'm not looking out just now because I'm in the laundry, but once I go out for my lunch, uh, I'll be sitting outside, having a cold beer, looking out over the beach, thinking of all you guys working in your offices, and uh, thinking of all you people in Tassie freezing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm, we look out and you can say, well, that's just it. Or you look out and you go, wow. You just go, wow. It's just beautiful. and. The, the Old Testament and the New Testament see the creation as being full of God. Take away God, there's no meaning. We're left with, you take away God, we're left with tsunamis, we're left with natural disasters, but we're left with no explanation and no help. And then the idea of history, is history pointless? Is it going nowhere? The Israelites believed that God was in control of history, that it really was his story, that it was traveling to a goal. Without God, there is no purpose and there is no new thing. Or take the question of remembering. You say, nobody remembers. Yes, but with God, we do remember. We develop a longer term perspective. Later on, we're told by the preacher to uh, remember our creator. Now that's pointless if you don't exist. And what about that weariness and exhaustion? Well, um, it's quite funny when you're, uh, we took my uh, two-year-old granddaughter and my four-year-old wanted to go to Sydney Opera House because we are, she's obviously got some Scottish blood in her and is highly cultivated. Australians don't go to the Opera House, but uh, us culture vultures do. And we went to Sydney Opera House and my two-year-old, she was like what we call the Duracell bunny. That's the, 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 the kid's. The, the rabbit that's got a battery inside it that just runs and runs. She just kept running. And it didn't matter if you were a, you know, a Pacific Islander rugby player. She was going to run through you. She'd be great. I, I didn't believe in women's rugby. I do now. She would be fantastic at it. Um, I just thought, all that energy, wow. And then I'm thinking, oh, I can hardly get to nine o'clock at night without falling asleep. Um, 
you know, you need energy, you need reinvigorated. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are tired, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Job describes some people, he says, they spend all their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? I hope you're not like that. I'll leave you with a quote from G.K. Chesterton. All men matter. You matter. I matter. It's the hardest thing in theology to believe. But it's also what Jesus teaches us. So, Wilbur, we will leave it there. Apologies for any offense to any Tasmanians whatsoever. It is honestly... Uh, one of my favorite, if not my favorite places in Australia, not least because it produces whiskey that, dare I say it, would, would rival uh, Scotland. So um, we'll leave it there. And I hope you, you guys are watching this. We'll think about it. If you've got any questions, feel free to, to put them in. Wonderful. Thanks so much, David. And uh, we do have a couple of questions that have come through. Um, so the first question um, here from Martin, um, for our colleagues and friends who may be wrestling with an existential crisis, do you have any tips on how we can help them deal with such a crisis? Yeah, and, and it's a strange one, it may seem. I wouldn't attempt to argue someone out of it. I would say, look, I would, I would use beauty. And I would say, you know, there's, there's beauty in this world. There are some wonderful things in this world. Where do they come from? If, if, if they're just a product of chemistry, they have no meaning. So really, I want to say, what I want to say with people who are, ex, who are going with an existential crisis, I want to say, you're really asking, is there any meaning? I'm saying that there is. I'm not saying you have to believe me, but I'm saying you should at least look. Because if life is meaningless, it means your life is meaningless. And it means any meaning that you, often people say you create your own meaning, but if I create my own meaning, it becomes false. And it's usually around things that can be taken away. So I, I tend to look at things like beauty and I tend to uh, say, do you know this? What beauty teaches us is that there is meaning. Uh, and that, that will come on later in Ecclesiastes chapter three. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Yet he has also said eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what he has done from beginning to end. So I, I would, I, 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 when someone is, really got that and it can be an incredible level of despair and it can be a level of despair that leads to suicide that just the dark empty meaninglessness i want to say there is light at the end of the tunnel and there is real meaning and that is found in christ and now you may not believe that you may think that's just religion but actually look and you'll see yeah thanks david um so would it be better then um if you if you don't believe in Jesus, to be like the sheep or the pigs with no reflection on origin, destiny, and purpose? Yeah, I mean, that's what people do. But the trouble is it's not satisfying because you're not a pig and you're not a chair. You, you, you are a, a human being. I mean, that is what happens. People go, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, you know, and let's forget about meaning. Let's not think about that. But no, no, it, it, that, that's the way to hell literally but it's also the, the way to hell on earth because we become selfish self-absorbed <coughs> narcissistic nihilistic you know you name it and uh, uh, so in one sense yes so that 
Jean-Paul Sartre was once asked about living his philosophy and he said he couldn't because if he did, he'd commit suicide. Um, I think that, I'm sorry, you know, anyone watching this, you were designed for something better. There's, you know, we often have this sense of there's got to be something more and there is something more and it's not more money. It's not more sex. It's not more, more food. All of these things may be wonderful, but there, there's something more to us and something more to meaning. So, um, yeah, but uh, I mean, that, that's a, a, a great question as well. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, maybe this can be the, the last question. Maybe this is um, a more of a, a technical one. Yeah. Um, so someone's asked whether uh, Solomon wrote this at the end of his life um, after he um, stopped believing in God. Do you think that's what's happening here? No. Um, I think he wrote it at the end of his life, having tried everything and having got things so much wrong. Because um, as, as you go through the book, it, the, the book itself is not despair. He's saying, under the sun, there's no meaning, but I've come to discover that there is a meaning above the sun. In other words, that there is a God. And he, he, at the end, he sums it up, you know, a, a great verse for anyone who's a student or any lawyer who's studying for the bar exam or something of making many books. There is no end and much study wearies the body. But he then he says, and this is the end of the matter. Fear God, honor the king. Um, and I think that Solomon is basically the whole message is life without God leads to despair. Life with God leads to hope and hope in the sense of a certain hope. So I, I do think this is at the end of his life, but I don't think it's because he ceased to believe in God. I think it's because he's returned from, he, he, I think he always believed in God, but he wandered away in terms of his lifestyle. And I think this is him saying, I've tried other ways and now I've returned. Gotcha. Thanks, David. Well, I'll give you the final word in 30 seconds. Um, why should people come back to hear your talk next week? Oh, because we're going to talk about sex and gardening and architecture and uh, uh, music and uh, harems and uh, everything that your heart desires. So we may even throw in a little bit of AFL, but I'm not sure if Solomon mentioned AFL. <laughs> it, I mean, it just is, it's, it's an incredible chapter two is just such an incredible passage. So, yeah, we're going to come back to all that. Fantastic. Thanks so much, David. And thank you everyone who joined us on the live stream today. Hope to see you next week. See you guys.